0: Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionise your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. Welcome to my second podcast in a series of podcast episodes looking at the research and theory of psychology and applying that also to leadership and business in general and got four areas today we're going to look at we're going to look at the relationship between language and thought we're going to look at how vulnerable our memories can be and how they can actually be influenced we're going to look at the importance of emotional intelligence particularly applying that in leadership and finally why neuroplasticity gives us great hope about our own ability to grow and improve over time. So let's start with the relationship between language and thought. Psychologists have debated and agreed and disagreed on this matter over years, really. And there are, there are varying camps. But the, one of the original uh, schools of thought, really, was from the Sapir Wharf hypothesis which was more about the fact actually that language was the driver of thought and there are actually a a couple of different versions of that there is a linguistic deterministic version of it which is a very strong view that language drives thought and then there's a linguistic relativity relativity view of it that there is some influence from language on thought but that was that, that was more the earlier psychological view really that language was a big driver on our cognition and thought but there are other schools of thought that called language of thought a lot of them fall under that camp that cognition is is more of the initiator and and language comes out of that and you've got psychologists like Noam Chomsky and Lev, Lev Vygotsky who fall more into that camp really that um particularly we know Chomsky, that language is just an, another form of cognition, one of the cognitive skills that's developed over time really. So really the, the driver being the the building of our cognitive skills. Lev Vygotsky, I guess to a degree, falls in between this that um really before the years of year of two, that speech and thought develop in sort of differing independent ways and then that there starts to become that link between them as, as they get through that but so fascinating stuff from a psychological perspective and lots as always in psychology lots of different schools of thought and opinions on um you know what is the truth really you know and whether language is the, the pure driver of thought whether it's the other way around or whether there's in, some interrelationship and i guess i fall very much in the camp that there is a circular relationship between the two that we develop our cognitive skills and part of that is developing our language ability um but also the language that we use can definitely have an impact on our thinking as well and also on the thinking of others so i think as leaders we need to be really mindful of the language that we use and more conscious of it on a regular basis because we can very quickly drop into more doubtful and negative language as as i've talked about before And I think one of the things I've become very conscious of, actually, is using more certain language when I'm communicating with myself, but also when I'm talking with other people about my intentions and what I'm going to do. And I always remember, I've picked up leaders um, on numerous times when when I'm in coaching sessions in their choice of language. But I always remember working with one particular leader where he made a comment that he might try and do something and i said to him is there anything more doubtful in that and what you're actually saying to yourself is that there is no really strong intention to do that So if we're looking at language and the way it can influence our own thinking in particular, then it's important to be mindful of that, not just only the internal dialogues, but how you express yourself to other people about what you're going to do. But also remember as well that the language you use with other people, with employees and other people in your business, will influence their thinking as well. So for example, if you give somebody a deadline and say, uh, do your best to you know, to hit the deadline. Or if you say you must hit that deadline, there's a difference in suggestion there of what's what's intended. So be mindful of that. Be, be mindful, particularly if you're talking about the dynamics of language and thought, they're interrelationship. But particularly thinking about how language can influence our own thinking and other people's thinking and be more conscious in the way that we use that. So the second area I wanted to talk about on this particular episode is about memory and I've been reading some really interesting material uh, well, actually more in, in back in the last year really on the uh, the effect of cognitive biases now the problem is that our minds are constantly looking for shortcuts and making it easy for ourselves in terms of processing information and you know, in effect quite lazy really and there are a whole raft of cognitive biases that can impact us in the way that we interpret what's going on, but also in the way that um, we can recall things as well from memory. And again, there's a there's a great uh, number of um, sort of cognitive biases that fall into this memory camp. And there's a few examples of these There's a context effect. So if you put yourself in a particular context, then that can impact your recall of memory. And, and it's been said that if you can actually go back to the context you were in at the particular time of an event, then your memory can be stronger and more accurate in the way it recalls things. We've got things like egocentric bias, which when you're recalling past events often can be in a self-serving manner. There's actually another bias called a self-serving bias. And there is a hindsight bias, which is where we like to believe that we have a better view of what went on, you know, in terms of an almost an I knew it all along kind of bias um, when we're recalling events. Um, Actually, again, very much looking to put ourselves in in our best light. So a lot of these cognitive biases can be shortcuts, but also can be self-serving as well. And I say there are a whole range of memory ones. There's also a su- suggestibility bias, which means that when a questioner or somebody's talking to us, they might say something that might suggest that, um, our mem- or influence our memory of events. And it's on that one I wanted just to turn to some really interesting psychological research from a number of years ago, from the, in the 70s actually, by Elizabeth Loftus, psychologist, who did some re- research on... Um, Um, with also with a a colleague and and so it was the Loftus and Palmer studies and research in the 70s that we're talking about and what they did with this was got 45 um, participants to look at seven films of motor accidents and what they wanted to do then was get the participants to describe uh, almost like an eyewitness testimony what was going on they're called the eyewitness studies actually testimony studies but also then by adding specific questions to see if they could influence the memory and interpretation of what went on. Particularly interesting was the way that they question people uh, and actually within those questions they use particular words which influence the recall of how fast the participants believe the vehicles were going uh, in the actual seven uh, films of traffic incidents that they'd seen so the estimated spe- speed of the car was actually affected by the verb used by the questioner when they were talking to the participants so for it, for instance if they were asked um you know what speed was the car going when it smashed into another vehicle then that would affect the speed the the next word would be collided so again what speed was the car going when the vehicle collided with the other vehicle and then bumped uh, then hit and then contacted now interestingly enough this affected the recall of the speed so if they were asked the question with the word smashed the highest speed estimate was nearly 41 miles per, per hour if they were asked a question but the word collided was used we're dropping down to around about 39 miles per hour so already a drop of two miles per hour if they're asked a question with the word bumped it went down to 38 miles per hour if it was hit it went down to 34 miles per hour and if it was contacted it was less than 32 miles an hour so we've gone down from almost 41 miles per hour to less than 32 miles per hour in people's interpretation of what went on just purely based on the choice of five different verbs so what could what could be going on here i guess to be to be fair it may well be that the person is feeling that the the questioner wants a particular response it may not be down to memory but it is often stated from this research that the memory representation was actually altered by the critical verb used. So this is just a very simple, I was talking right at the beginning of this part about cognitive biases, and we're talking about specifically memory biases, and and I guess really we're talking about suggestibility bias here, more so, and it could be a, a combination of biases in effect that are happening. But what incredible research really, that people's research of speed can be impacted so significantly by just the choice of a verb so where do we what do we take from this in terms of our experiences in business and leadership well we do need to be mindful that the words that are being used when we're talking to people in terms of memory can influence their recall of memory the other thing to be mindful of is that people will have a different recall of events that went on. And this can often cause difficulties in business where you get uh, disagreements and problems and relationship problems over an event that happened where people are potentially interpreting it differently and their recall of it can be different. So very important then when you're sitting in between two people to actually be quite open about this kind of thing and say, you know that we we're all doing our best to recall but probably none of us have got the perfect uh, recall of an event that happened and it's getting people to own up to that because i think people can often put an enormous amount of emphasis on their own ability to recall things and their their ability you know their memory abilities where in effect we are all impacted by these biases and suggestibility and all sorts of things that happen with our memory, memory's capacity. I mean, I'm talking on about just one specific area on this, but our memory's capacity and our working memory's capacity. So, making people conscious of this um, and also i guess it brings in the importance of bringing in people who can sit between and negotiate and mediate if you are getting really significant differences of opinion between people on something that happened but let's all be mindful of the fact that none of us are perfect in team in terms of our recall of events and they c- and it can be impacted our memory can be impacted in so many ways the third aspect I wanted to touch on on this particular episode of applying psychology and leadership is um, a term called emotional intelligence, a concept called emotional intelligence. Now, this term was originated in around about the 60s, I believe, but made really made famous by psychologist Daniel Goldman in his book in 1995, Emotional Intelligence. And many of you have heard will have heard of emotional intelligence. But just to be clear on the the five different elements, again, sometimes you hear that there are four, but classically in in Daniel Goldman's research, there are typically five areas to emotional intelligence. And the first is your ability to be self-aware. The second is then your ability to self-manage or self-regulate. So, it's starting to recognise that emotions are playing a part for you, but then being able to manage and keep control of those emotions as well. The third area is self-motivation, and that's our ability to motivate ourselves and move ourselves forward. The fourth area is empathy, and that is really our ability to understand another person's viewpoint, be able to put yourself in another person's shoes. And the fifth area of emotional intelligence is around relation management. And what Goldman found in his research is that leaders can develop all sorts of skills and cognitive abilities and what have you in technical skills but that truly effective leaders are often found to be the ones with high emotional intelligence. And in fact, he looked at star performers, star leaders versus average leaders and found that 90% of the differences between the two were attributable to emotional intelligence abilities and how developed their emotional intelligence skills were rather than cognitive abilities. So working on these five areas and here's the thing as well none of us are perfect none of us ever will be perfect but we all have again it's, it's been found and i believe absolutely 100 percent this is true we all have the ability to develop our emotional intelligence skills as well across all five of those areas so it's continually looking for different things that you can apply and be more conscious of in all five of the areas to keep improving and developing in all five areas. Now, I've actually got, if any any of you are interested in having a look at this, I've got um, an emotional intelligence test that you can do, which can give you a view on how you're performing in those five different areas. And certainly, I've got a crib sheet with a number of things that you can apply um, in those five, if you just want the crib sheet in terms of things that you can work on in those five different areas to keep improving your emotional intelligence skills. Because remember, it's said that 90% of the attributes of a star performer are those more applying to emotional intelligence rather than cognitive abilities and skills. And there's a whole host of research that supports this around emotional intelligence as such an important driver in terms of leadership performance so in an area well worth working on for the final area today i wanted to turn to um, a subject I've, i've touched on in other podcast episodes which is neuroplasticity or in its original form it was called neural plasticity now neuroscientists used to believe that our brains were only really adaptable and could change and, and improve and change patterns and shape and structure and during childhood but particularly over the last half of the 20th century neuroscience started to see that this was an ability that we have right the way through life in fact interestingly enough the spiritual leader Dalai, the Dalai Lama was one of the first people talking about the fact that brains can change based on the way that we use them and i also love the fact that one of my favorite uh, psychologists william james was actually terming using the term plasticity very early on um, over a hundred years ago not necessarily applied to neural plasticity, but this idea of plasticity and development. It was actually a Polish psychologist called Jerzy Konorski who developed the term neural plasticity and and things have developed and grown since then. So neuroscientists through MRI scans and looking at the shape of the brain and how that can change based on use, have found that we are all capable of developing new neural uh, pathways, developing reinforcing neural pathways. Our brains can change shape based on use. And there is a a lovely bit of research that was done in 1997 by psychologist Eleanor Maguire, where she looked at the brains of London taxi drivers. Now, if you go to New York and a lot of other cities, the, the road maps and the road layouts are quite structured but the london road road networks are highly complex and what was found by looking at the brains of london taxi drivers that was because they were exercising particular parts of the brain it was actually the the hippocampus the part of the brain that's more responsible for spatial memory and navigational awareness. But Eleanor Maguire found that the brains of London taxi drivers were more developed in terms of the hippocampus. So r- compared to the average person, it was different and it had changed based on use. So just a really fascinating example th- of this ability to change our neural pathways. And again, neuroscientists, very much look into the fact that the way that we exercise our brains and use our brains can have a more uh, a greater impact on our own well-being and and the issues that we might face than drugs so exercising our brains all the time now when you apply this to our own worlds. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. Actually, I I originally studied maths at university in the early '80s, and I dug out. I was clearing out the loft recently and dug out my notes from my um, my degree, and I looked at the notes and I thought, how on earth, over 30 years ago, did I understand all this? <laughs> and that was because during that time, from when I went through school and I had ability in maths, and then did. Um, mass A level and further mass A level and then went on to study Mass at university I was exercising my neurology in a particular way and in a very sort of logical way in a math- mathematical and numerical way in the kind of studies that I was doing and of course I haven't really applied or used that much over the last 30 years so that ability has subs- subsided and I often hear people who are leaders saying that they don't have the ability to be creative or innovative or strategic or able to lead people well. But I think what neuroplasticity gives us is that comfort that the more that you exercise your brain down particular pathways and build on your creative skills, for example, and you become more strategic and you learn and you utilise your abilities to lead people and you keep exercising those, the better you can get in all of those different areas. And obviously, hooking right back to emotional intelligence, the more that you use those particular skills in emotional intelligence and exercising and them, the better you can get with those. And I, and I love this. And it, it hooks into something I was talking to on the last episode about growth and fixed mindset. And... Uh, from the psychologist Carol Dweck and that growth mindset view that we are ever capable of changing, evolving and developing and neuroplasticity and the work of neuroscientists over the last sort of 50 to 100 years has really shown that to be the case in a very scientific way. So take heart that you are a work in progress. You are always able to grow and improve your skills and so exercise your brain in ways i mean i guess it's been it's been found hasn't it that you can stave off the problems of things like alzheimer's by continuing to exercise your brain and do certain puzzles and this kind of thing so we've covered four areas today the relationship between language and thought and and why that may be important for you in terms of your own self-leadership and your leadership of others. We've looked at how vulnerable our memories can be, and that when you've got disputes in work, that people need to be mindful of the fact that neither view is probably the true and real view of what went on. It's been impacted by cognitive biases and memory capability. We've looked at the importance of emotional intelligence and the five areas of emotional intelligence and how it's worth investing your time as a leader in those five areas and grow and improve them. And finally, giving us great hope and faith in our abilities to grow and improve the work of neuroscientists and the concept of neuroplasticity. I trust you found this useful and that If it's only one of those areas that you can take it away and start applying it in your role as a business person, in your role as a leader. And I will be back on the next podcast episode with a further examination of some psychological areas and theories and research and what we can learn from that um, in terms of our general day to day life, but particularly how we can apply that in leadership and business. If you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail, why not complete our free Leadership Diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for a future podcasts.